The story is told of a man who kept a journal. And on one particular day, the journal entry reads, I went fishing with my son. It was a complete waste of a day. The son also kept a journal. And on that same day, he wrote, I went fishing with my dad. It was the most wonderful day of my life. The father missed the ultimate purpose of the fishing trip. I don't know how successful they were. I don't know, you know, what happened on the fishing trip. But whatever it was, I do know the father missed the ultimate purpose of that trip. Tonight, as we come to another celebration of Holy Communion, and especially on this night of Maundy Thursday, I want to know, are we living out the ultimate purpose of Holy Communion? Do we really understand what Holy Communion is all about? Because what we'll talk about tonight is that communion has a purpose the Lord instituted that we must maintain. And I want to say at the outset that I'm making an assumption here. I'm assuming that because you have chosen to come to worship on Maundy Thursday, uh, that, that we can go past the, the John 13 passage. We can get past the story of Maundy Thursday. I'm assuming that you've heard that before. And so we're actually going to look at a church, the church in Corinth, and they're dealing with Holy Communion. Paul is writing to them, trying to make some corrections. And so tonight, this isn't necessarily a sermon we preach on a Sunday morning, but from Monday Thursday to understand what God's purpose is for the Lord's Supper, for this holy table. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And as I said, we'll see that Paul is writing to the Corinthians, letting them know that they're missing the mark. They're not getting everything right. And he wants to correct these issues because it has implications beyond just the cup and the bread. And so I begin reading in 1 Corinthians 11 at verse 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, Because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. And so here from the outset, we realize that communion without its purpose is wasted time. The Corinthians were not fulfilling the purpose of communion and that they had missed the point. They were celebrating the Lord's Supper, but not in the right way. And when you do the right thing in the wrong way, you're doing the wrong thing. They came together as a church. That was good. But they failed to establish the community, the unity that is necessary at the Lord's table. They would pick and choose who was part of their crowd, who they would associate with, who they would extend a welcome hand to. They focused on their sociology, not on communion's theology. 
if we study this more, we find that the rich and the poor were separated. They were separated based on who had the good food, who didn't have food. And, and as I said, this, this thing that was instituted to bring unity to God's people was causing division. And so from the outset, we need to learn to question purposeless tradition. We need to question purposeless tradition. Paul did that. He opens verse 22 by saying, what? What? To tease that out a little bit, it means surely it cannot be. This cannot be the case. You've got to be kidding me. Paul's saying there is nothing about this whole situation that is good. There is nothing worth praising. You have completely missed the purpose. So what is the purpose of communion? We continue reading beginning at verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The purpose of communion is proclamation. The purpose of communion is to proclaim the Lord's death. But what does that mean? What does it mean to proclaim the Lord's death? Well, it means we understand that communion is more than a reflection. It's more than a memory. It's more than just doing something that Jesus did with his disciples long ago and they did it because people long before them did it. Communion is more than a reflection. Jesus said that the bread represented his body. Let's think about that for a moment. Jesus Christ, God himself, had a body. Christ took on a human body in total humility. In total humility. You know, it's so absurd, this idea that God would become a man, that the theological term we use if we take humility to its fullest extent is his humiliation. We call it Christ's humiliation. Ultimate humility, being humble to the point of becoming a human. But why did that have to happen? If we're going to try to tease this out, we need to keep asking why. Why did it have to happen? Why did he have to come as a man? Well, the fact is God cannot die. God cannot die, but a human could. The problem is there was no human before or since Jesus who could provide a perfect sacrifice. The only solution was a God-man, one who was fully God and yet fully man, humble and pure. He said the bread represented his body, his body, the perfect body, the one that really had no reason to be broken, 
And yet that's what he offered. And then he said the cup represented the establishment of a new covenant. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. A few things about God's covenants. One, he always holds up his end of the bargain. And two, this particular covenant was the best one yet. In fact, in Hebrews, they talk about this covenant extensively, and it's described as once for all. All through the Old Testament, we have covenant after covenant after covenant as God is is working through his people, trying to be their God and, and for them to be his people. But we have so many covenants just a few of them, the, the Abrahamic covenant, the, no, the Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and there are others. God working and changing for his people. But with this one, with this new covenant, it was the covenant to end all these other covenants. It ended them because there no longer was, was a question mark. There was no longer a need for striving on the part of the person. people could live and enjoy life through this new covenant. The best one yet once for all. And so communion is more than a reflection. It's more than a memory. Communion is also more than a single act that we repeat. It is a call to action. It is a call to action. Look again at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The purpose of communion is proclamation. The purpose of communion is to proclaim the Lord's death. Paul has reviewed with his people what communion is in the face of their disobedience, in the face of them not getting it right, in the face of this failure on the Corinthians' part. The purpose behind their communion was just selfish, empty tradition. The purpose of communion from Christ's perspective, what Paul is arguing for, is pure humility. Pure humility. And so he pushes that purpose. He pushes the purpose. Proclaim Christ's death. Proclaim that ultimate humility. The key here is not eating, it is reflecting. For both the bread and the cup, we are told to do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Not a memory of a time past, not a memory of one night in an upper room, but to do something in remembrance, it gives the idea of a memorial. A memorial. So what's the difference between a memory and a memorial? Memories fade. Memorials endure. Memorials last. In fact, a memorial in the biblical context always symbolized more than an event. It was always a call to action. Just a few of them that stick out for me is is Samuel when he established his Ebenezer. If you're familiar with the worship song, Here I Raise Mine Ebenezer, it's talking about when Samuel established an Ebenezer in 1 Samuel 7.11. And when he built this little altar, this little memorial of what God had done, 
He said, thus far the Lord has helped us. They were looking back, using this as a thing to remember when God delivered them from the Philistines. He said, God delivered us then. And I see this and I remember that and it pushes me, compels me to have faith going forward that he's going to deliver me again. The Passover. It's the very memorial that Jesus was leading his disciples through. There was only ever one true Passover and that's what we read about in Exodus, but it's to be celebrated every year. The Jewish tradition said to celebrate it annually, commanded to be observed so that the generations would always remember what God did for them so they could always look forward to what he would do. It's a memorial, something you come back to, not just to remember when it happened and propel us forward. Douglas Stewart in the New American Commentary asks why such an emphasis on commemoration? He says, because what is not carefully remembered by a community is very naturally and easily forgotten and virtually completely forgotten as soon as the oldest members of that community who, are experience, who experienced the original event die. He's saying once the people who experienced it are gone, if we don't have something in place to remember what happened... It's a memory that fades. Memorials endure. The Ebenezer, we see God's faithfulness in the past and know he'll be faithful in the future. The Passover, the Israelites know they were delivered once and there's a coming deliverer who will deliver them again. Holy communion is a memorial of Christ establishing a new covenant. It's a memorial of Christ establishing a new covenant. And as such, when we come to any opportunity to commune together, to partake in, in the Lord's Supper, we must reflect on it. We must really dwell on it. Spend some time thinking about it. What are the things that you like to spend time really thinking about? You know, at the end of the day, I'm sure there are many things that you know, you're glad they happened. You might tell somebody about it sometime later, but eventually the memory fades. What are the things you dwell on? The things you go back to? A memory so, so real, an event so, so important that it propels you to go forward. Perhaps it's, it's a marriage ceremony. The, the, the forming of, of a covenant where, where you look back on this and say, you know what, today was tough. But I remember that day. I remember that day and, and, and what we felt and what we agreed to and that's going to push us forward. Lately, I found myself self dwelling on the, the, the miracle of, of birth and having a baby at home and, and just looking at Colson and interacting with him and dwelling on how, how wonderful it felt that first time I saw him and how I still don't know what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm learning and I'm trying and, and, and we're just... There's something so wonderful about it. I don't want it to be a fleeting moment. I want to dwell on it. So tonight, do you want to dwell on Holy Communion? Do you want to dwell on what Jesus Christ did in that upper room? Do you want to dwell on what he accomplished that, that first Good Friday into Easter? 
Let's just dwell on it for a little while. Let's talk about what Christ's death meant for us. The bread, that ultimate humility, giving up his body for us. Yes, he was God, but he was fully human. The cross was no less painful for him just because he was God. Let's dwell on that humility, on that love that he has for us. The cup, he shed his blood to ratify a new covenant. When God makes the covenant, it's because he wants to to interact with his people, to deal with his people, to be known by his people in a new way. Do you hear that? God wants to know you. God wants you to know him. No longer would animal sacrifices be needed. This would be a complete shift in in the daily life of the Jewish person. This would be a complete shift in in how God dealt with his people. His dealings would now be under the, the blood flow of Christ, coated in grace, making us white as snow, giving us a way to have fellowship with God through Christ. Once. For all. Communion must always be a memorial that compels action. Always compels us to proclaim the death of Christ. Always compels us to to think about this new covenant that he brought. This new opportunity we have to relate to God. And so what do we do with that? If our call to action at communion is to proclaim Christ's death, then we have to declare the efficacy of his death in our own lives. We have to declare the efficacy of his death in our own lives. That begins within you. That begins in your heart. That begins by marveling at the fact that God was faithful even to the point of giving up his son for you. And then we move beyond ourselves to others. You see, the point of communion is is not just that Christ has made a way for you. He's made a way for us, each of us. There's a unity established in communion. As a fellowship of believers, we have this equal opportunity to to approach God through his son, Jesus Christ. He's made a way for us, for all of us. And you know what? He's even made a way for the people who don't know he's made a way yet. And so we have to proclaim it to them too. We reflect on it. We proclaim it to ourselves. We proclaim it to each other, celebrating the the cause of our unity, the cause of what he's enabled us to do, but then to others as well.
that in and of itself is a humbling idea. That God would do something and then entrust us to be the ones to carry that message forth. God, this one who who could use any number of ways to make his message known, chooses to use us. You know, there are times I don't understand how God could want me to preach because I know how sinful I am. I know how, how bad I am. Deep down in my soul, I know how wretched I am. How could he want me to try to, to speak to anyone else about him? But then I remember what Christ did. He broke the bread. He poured the cup, even for Judas. Judas was at that table with him. You see, Jesus Christ doesn't qualify us according to our sins. He qualifies us according to himself. Jesus Christ doesn't qualify us according to our sins. He qualifies us according to himself. And so when we proclaim Christ's death through communion, we're proclaiming that we're qualified, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that he has done. That's a message worth sharing. If it was all about you or me, what the Corinthians did wouldn't really have been a big deal. Paul could have saved, you know, saved some ink. He could have saved some papyrus. He wouldn't have had to worry about it. But it's not just about us. It's not just about what we're doing. It's about what Christ has done in us, and it's about other people being able to come into the folds. Paul dedicated his life to telling others about Jesus and having a bunch of Christians messing up this important part of Christianity. This memorial, this thing that tells us what God did and and will propel us to a faithful obedience for the future. If Christians are messing that up, then Paul had to stand up and say something. It distressed him and it should distress us. Our experience at the Lord's table must compel us to proclaim Christ's death. Looking again at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. That tells me two things. One, we're not going to be doing this forever. And two, if that's the case, we need to have a sense of urgency about proclaiming it because the time is short. We proclaim his death until he comes. This is not our role forever. It's our role for now. And so as we join in the Lord's Supper tonight, know that it is absolutely about you and and your sin and your stance with God and what he did about all of that. But it is absolutely not only about that. 
It is about God providing a way for you and everybody else who seeks him, receives his gift and goes on to live in the grace of this new covenant, which we proclaim together this evening. We need to live lives that are motivated by this memorial. Motivated to remind ourselves what he did. Motivated to remind each other what he did. Motivated to tell other people what he did. Motivated to look forward to when the end does come. When we will again interact with Jesus in a completely new way. He longs for his people. That's why he's made covenants. Through this new covenant, we have access to God through Jesus Christ, something no one in history before that ever experienced. As we share in Holy Communion, we proclaim Christ's death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this this gift that we focus on and during the Lent season and on Easter morning. Father, may we never lose the significance of what Christ did. And as long as we hold on to that significance, may we have confidence in proclaiming his death. As we eat the bread and drink the cup and are reminded of your love for us. We praise you, we thank you. We humble ourselves before you and do ask that we would boldly proclaim it to others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.